Thanks for finding us online. Thanks for joining us. Genesis is where we've been for the last several weeks. We've been looking at the story of Joseph and this big, huge lesson of trusting the goodness of God. And in today's story, we will continue to uh, drill down into what does it look like to trust God, to trust in the goodness of God. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about Judah than Joseph, though. The story kind of shifts back to him. So we're going to look at the cycle-breaking power of God's love today, primarily in the life of this brother, Judah. So in that story that you just heard read to you, uh, we see this transformation, this amazing transformation in the life of Judah. Let me ask you this question. Are there any um, sin cycles in your life? And right now, if you're saying, no, I don't think so. I'm pretty good. I don't think I ever repeat the same sinful patterns over and over. If, if you're saying that, then you, you are blind to yourself. You're, you're living in denial. And uh, it's time for God to wake you up. And, that's a, and it's a, a great and glorious thing when God does that for us, when he wakes us up, when, he, when God shows us to us, when God uh, exposes my heart to me, that is the grace and the mercy of God in our lives, to reveal to us these cycles in our lives, these, these relational cycles. What relational cycles, sin cycles, do you see in your life? Every time you look at your phone and you see that it's your dad calling, do you, do you hang up? Do you let it go to voicemail? Every time you see that other person online, do you get that, that knot in your gut like, ah, oh, I hate that, I can't stand them. When you know, you have, when you know Thanksgiving's coming up and you're going to have to spend six or seven hours being nice to somebody in your family, uh, does, that, does that just make you cringe? Um, every time you hear your mother say those words, do you get defensive? Is that your cycle? Is that your habit in, in your life? What relational cycles are there in, in your story this morning? Joseph's been putting his brothers through an elaborate test these last couple chapters to try to reveal if the brothers are still wrapped up in the same cycle of behavior that they've always been? Are they still the same guys? Or have they changed? And today, in chapter 44, we get to the end of this ingenious series of tests where Joseph gets the brothers to a place where they are in the same exact spot they were in back in chapter 37. They have an opportunity to let Benjamin become a slave, get rid of him, let him become a slave, just like they had back in chapter 37 with Joseph. You might remember in chapter 37, they hate Joseph because dad loves Joseph the most. He's the favorite. He's the spoiled brat. And so they plot to kill him, and then they plot, no, we're not going to kill him, but we're going to sell him as a slave. Judah says, let's just sell him as a slave. We can get rid of him once and for all. And so here in chapter 44, Joseph has put them into that same spot. And what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Are they going to 
turn Benjamin over as a slave and walk away and go home and tell dad, eh, your, your son became a slave. He stole a cup, dad. He stole a cup. There's nothing we could do. They locked him up. Or have they changed? This, I, I am not overstating it when I say that this story is it's literally like a hinge in the whole story, maybe even in the whole Bible, the whole redemptive plan of God. Look at verse 17, everybody. Genesis 44, 17. Joseph has put them through this test. He's, he's sent them away, but he snuck the goblet, the silver goblet, into Benjamin's sack. The police roll up on them. We're pull over. And, oh, man, now what? And he's searching. They're searching the sacks. They get to Benjamin's sack. Uh-oh, what's this? It's the silver goblet. Joseph says, didn't you know? I do divination. You should have known I would know. I'm a pretty smart guy. And so now, verse 17 Story's about to end. Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. Here it is. But as for you guys, go up in peace to your father. So, so I'm keeping Benjamin. He's my slave. You other guys, you other, just go home. Story over. Go home. Shalom to you. Peace to you. Go home to dad. Story over. Bible over. Redemptive history over. Unless... Somebody does something. The whole story has come to this turning point. Verse 17. Death and life are in the, in the balance. If they go home, they're going to die. They're going to starve to death. If they go home, Jacob's going to die because they're going to go home without Benjamin and that's going to destroy him. Everything is hinging on this. Joseph's plan is on the verge of not working. He's not going to get his brothers back and they're not going to get him back. He's made his decision. Justice. I'm taking the one who stole my cup. I'm locking him up. Will anyone step up for Benjamin? Will anybody say anything? And lo and behold, it's Judah. Judah. He's a nobody. Look, I know you know the name Judah because you've got thousands of years of, of Bible history under your belt. But think about it. Judah is son number four. Who knows? Like if, if, I said, if I said Gad, you'd be like, who's Gad? If I said Asher, right? If I said Naphtali, you'd be like, who are those guys? Nobody even knows those names. You know Judah because somewhere along the line, he did something amazing. And here it is. Judah's a nobody. Not only is he a nobody, he's a lousy nobody as we're going to see in a second. But Judah is the one who steps up. Judah of all people. And so our first lesson today is that God's love can change anyone because it's Judah. So I need you to go back in time with me to to chapter 38. It's been a while, I know. It's been weeks and months since, since we preached chapter 38. But you might remember this chapter. It seemed so out of place, didn't it? In chapter 37, Joseph, and they sell him, and he's off to Egypt. And then in chapter 39, uh, Joseph and Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife and all of that drama. And in the middle of that, chapter 38, which at the time seemed like, what in the world is this doing here? Judah, the story of Judah. He leaves his family. Do you remember all this? Judah abandons the family. 
He not only abandons the family, he, he abandons the covenant, the covenant community. He abandons the promised land. He goes to live with Canaanites. He raises two wicked sons, so wicked that the, the Bible actually says God killed them. He raises these two godless sons. And then, we won't replay the whole story, but remember Tamar? The widow of his sons, his two sons? He mistreats her for years. Hides her away where he, where he should have been taking care of her. He hides her away. She dresses as a prostitute. He, in sexual immorality, sleeps with her unknowingly. She's hidden. There's a lot of hiding in the book of Genesis in this whole story. She's hidden her identity. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. When they come to him, him and say, Judah, your daughter-in-law is pregnant. Do you remember his reaction? Kill her. In Hebrew, it's two words. Take, burn. That's what he says. Kill her. Burn her alive. But then Tamar exposes Judah. Remember, she kept his, his, uh, his seal and his cord, and she exposes him. She exposes his unrighteousness. And Judah's changed. His heart has changed. That's who God is changing. That's the man that God is using. Let me ask you, are you too far gone this morning? Have you walked away from God? Maybe you're a church dropout. Maybe you're de-churched. Maybe you're finding this online because somebody said, hey, watch my church, and you're trying to be nice, so you're watching church. Maybe mom asked you to watch church or a neighbor or something, and you haven't been to church in years. You haven't even thought about God in years. Or maybe you just think, I'm, I'm so far past God. I've walked so far away from God that he could never use me. Maybe you're a Christian watching this and you think, I can, I can never be used by God. Like, I'm, I, I'm happy to come and, and sit and watch and I'll write a check once in a while. But I don't think God can really use me because I'm, I'm kind of messed up. I'm kind of a loser. Do you understand that that's exactly what God is in the business of doing? Is changing the people that we would say, God could never change them. God could never use that one. It's not supposed to be Judah. It's not supposed to be Judah. Reuben, maybe, he's the oldest. Even Benjamin, he's the favorite. But not Judah. Listen, God, never will, God will never quit on you. You might quit on God, but God will never quit on you. Lesson two. God wants to break the cycle of relational sin in your life. I hope you believe that today. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on this point because I want to show you how in Judah's life, when the cycle begins to repeat, he is able to respond in a different way. And this is what God wants to do in your life and in my life. This is God wants to use you to break cycles relational sin cycles in the life of your family or maybe your workplace or community. For Judah, the first, the first go-around looks like this. Mistreatment, selfishness, exposure, then grace. Mistreatment, back in chapter 37. Jacob loved Joseph more than all his brothers. That's what it told us. And because of that, they hated him. So these brothers, 
were mistreated. Their mother was mistreated. Their mother was Leah, not Rachel. Remember, Jacob had, had two wives, actually kind of four, but that's a whole other story. But he, he didn't love Leah. He didn't love their mom. And as a result, he didn't really love them very much. And so they spent their whole lives being second fiddle to their brother, being mistreated by their dad. And you can imagine the bitterness that that brought, the hardness that that brought to Judah's life. I'm sure you've been through mistreatment. We all have. Big ways and small ways. Some of you have been through like really terrible things. Some of us have been through smaller things, but maybe like dripping water. It just went on and on and on for years where we weren't loved the way we should have been loved or we weren't accepted the way we should have been accepted. We weren't encouraged the way we should have been encouraged. And what that breeds in us is selfishness. It breeds in us a self-centeredness. And that, that was chapter 38 for Judah, which we just went through. He walks away. He gives up on the family. He gives up on righteousness. He gives up on God. But then God exposes him, doesn't he? Through Tamar, through her actions, God exposes Judah to Judah. Remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago. God uses guilt. He exposed his guilt in that moment. When, when Tamar says, well, whose are these? And Judah says, her righteousness is greater than mine. Look at, look at it here. Genesis 38, 26. Then, Joseph, then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I. Why am I showing you this verse? Because there's a little word in this verse. It's the word righteous. Sadak in Hebrew. Sadak. This word is only used twice in the book of Genesis. And guess where it's used again? Chapter 44, which we just had read to us. I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you in a second. So Judah has this moment of his unrighteousness being revealed. Tamar's righteousness is greater than my righteousness. And then he experiences the grace of God, doesn't he? Do you remember the story? <clears throat> Judah, who has lost two sons, God has taken away two of his sons. Through his immorality with Tamar, she has twins. She has twin sons. And so God, in his grace, restores the line of Judah, restores his, his offspring, he gives him the son that will become the line to David, the line to Jesus. All through grace. Now, remember, Genesis 38, that story of Judah, it's a 20-year story. It's a 20-year chapter. So that timeline is running while the Joseph timeline's running. They're running concurrent. They're running at the same time. So the end of chapter 38, when Judah has this moment of, oh my goodness, I'm exposed, I'm unrighteous, but God is good and God is gracious. Judah has that, and then the timelines get back together. They merge back together just as Judah. And then the next thing we see is Judah in front of his dad saying, let's give me Benjamin, I'll take care of him. Let's go down there and, and rescue this family. Wow. Wow. So that's what, that's what happened in Judah's life so that he could become the person he is in chapter 44. And so now here we go again. 
Here's the cycle. Except this time, mistreatment, exposure, submission, sacrifice. Mistreatment again. Dad hasn't changed. Jacob hasn't changed. It's been 23 years since chapter 37. And dad is the same dad. In chapter 42, Jacob says, I only have one son left. What? Only, what do you mean you only have one son? Imagine how that would make you feel. If your parents, you're, you're one of a, a dozen kids, and your parent looks at you and says, I really only have one kid. Wow. Imagine the hurt that you would feel if your father said those words. In chapter 43, in chapter 43, when Jacob says, go down and get Benjamin and your other brother. He can't even name, he can't even remember Simeon's name. Remember Simeon's the one that Joseph held back and locked up? And, and Jacob says, go get, you know, get Benjamin, take Benjamin and, and maybe your other brother. And then here in chapter 44, when Judah's recounting the words of his dad, he, his dad says, he, he quotes his dad as saying, my wife bore me two sons. Your wife, singular? Where, what, about, what about my mom? What about Leah? You can't, you can't even talk about her. You can't even mention that you have this whole other side of your family. And so Jacob, Jacob's sin is continuing. Jacob's mistreatment, his emotional mistreatment of Judah it's, we should assume it's been going on for 23 years. And obviously this family is very dysfunctional. He doesn't trust these sons. They don't trust him. That's the mistreatment that Judah is facing. Now they're back in front of Joseph, aren't they? Chapter 44. <clears throat> they're back in front of Joseph. Joseph set up this whole plot. The cup in the bag, the goblet in the bag... They're arrested. They're brought back. They're thrown in front of Joseph. Here we go. Exposure. Again, exposure. Just like chapter 38, Judah is exposed. His sin is exposed. The sin of all the brothers is exposed, really. But look at how Judah responds. Chapter 44, verse 16. Judah said, he's speaking to Joseph, not knowing that it's Joseph, of course. And he says, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? Do you see that? Clear ourselves. That's the word. That's the Hebrew word, sadak. And to translate it literally, it would say, how can we show that we're righteous? How can we justify ourselves? Some versions say, how can we prove our innocence? How can we clear ourselves? How can we sadak? Here's the great irony of this verse. They're not guilty of the cup stealing. They've been set up. J Joseph put the cup there. They're innocent. And yet, Judah is standing in front of Joseph and saying, we're guilty and we cannot prove our righteousness. We cannot clear ourselves. Well, what's, what's going on? What's Judah talking about? He's not guilty of cup stealing. Is 
there a deeper guilt that's coming out of Judah? And all the brothers, really, because they're, they're all going to fall down and offer to be slaves, which is a beautiful moment. Is there a deeper level here where Judah's saying, I'm, I'm guilty of something, and it happened 23 years ago when I sold my brother away. And you can imagine Joseph hearing these words because Joseph knows they're not actually guilty. And yet Judah's standing in front of him saying, we're all guilty. And you can imagine how that's working on Joseph's mind and in Joseph's heart. Oh, wow. These guys are, are actually admitting guilt. And they're admitting guilt in a scenario that they're not guilty of. Another thing might be happening here. For all these brothers know, for all Judah knows, Benjamin is actually guilty. Look, they don't know that Joseph put the goblet in Benjamin's sack. And I'm sure Benjamin's saying, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I don't know what's going on. But for all they know, he's just another spoiled brat, Joseph. He's just another entitled son of Jacob, son of Rachel. And yet these brothers, not knowing for sure if Benjamin did it or not, they stand in front of Joseph and say, we're all guilty. Take us, lock us up, make us your slaves. Wow. And so Judah is exposed, but this time he's admitting guilt. Why is he able to do that? Because of what happened in chapter 38, because of what Tamar did, because of the exposure of his heart in chapter 38, his unrighteousness in chapter 38. The question Judah asks is, listen to me, the question Judah asks is the question every human needs to ask. How can we clear ourselves? You have got to ask that question. And the answer, there's only one answer, and it's Jesus Christ. Every human being will stand in front of God one day. They'll stand in front of Joseph God as, God as the judge, and every single one of us will have to answer this question. How can we clear ourselves? How can we be sadak? How can we be righteous? And listen, one answer, one answer, and it is the work of Jesus Christ, the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ, his righteousness placed on us, because our unrighteousness was placed on him. We call it the great exchange. He takes our sin. We receive his righteousness. That's the transaction that happened through Christ on the cross. And we're going to see a picture of it here in Judah's life. Mistreatment, exposure, but this time, submission. Submission. Judah is able to get past the grief, get past the anger, get past the resentment caused by his father. How does he do it? He has submitted his life to the plan of God, the goodness of God. He has submitted his life to the grace of God. He has submitted, he has submitted it to the judge and said, I'm not righteous. How can anybody clear themselves? How can we ever clear our names? We can't. How can I do this? God has done it. And he's had that experience in chapter 38. He's had that experience of God's grace. He's had that experience of his guilt. 
And then his guilt taking him to God and taking him to the grace of God. That's the experience we all need. And because Judah has had that experience, he is able to accept his reality. He's able to finally come to grips with his life. With with how his life has been and his place in the world. Judah's speech. It starts in verse 18. If you got your Bible, 44 verse 18 through the end of this chapter. It's the longest speech in Genesis. On the one hand, it's very basic, almost bland. And on the other hand, it's one of the most gorgeous, beautiful speeches ever written. Judah will speak his heart to Joseph, not knowing it's Joseph, but he's going to speak his heart to him. Look at verse 20. So, so he, he's recounting to Joseph the conversation that he had with Joseph earlier. But in, in verse 20, he says, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age, His brother is dead. That's Joseph who he's talking to. Judah thinks he's dead. And he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. Think about that. Think about what he just said. He's looking at Joseph and he's saying, listen, he's saying, sir, master, this is what I said to you. I said to you, I got a dad and my dad has a son. He's the son of his old age and he loves him. That's word for word the language from chapter 37 about Jacob and Joseph. Judah is now using that language about Jacob and Benjamin. But in 37 it said, Joseph loved, I'm sorry, Jacob loved Joseph and his brothers hated him because of it. But here, Jacob loves Benjamin, and I got to get him home. I got to get him home. Judah's heart has changed. Look at verse 27. 27 through 29. Then your servant, my father, said to us, so now he's quoting his dad. He's quoting Jacob. You know that my wife bore me two sons. Ouch. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces. And I have never seen him since. And and if you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Do you see what's happening? Judah's not covering up his father's favoritism. He's not covering up the sin of his father. He's not sweeping it under a rug. He's expressing He's expressing the very hurt and pain that he's lived through. He's telling, he's, he's explaining to Joseph, I have a dad and I have a dad who doesn't recognize my mom and doesn't recognize me. And he's got a, he's got a son, this guy, this guy down here on the end, number, number 12, number 11. He's the one my dad loves. He's the one my dad is bound to. Judah is expressing the hurt and pain of his entire life. 
He's not covering it up. But how is he able to do that? How is he able to speak this truth out loud? Because he has had this experience of grace. He has had this experience of God's mercy. And he's beginning to submit his life to the will of God. I'm never going to be the oldest. I'm never going to be the favorite. I'm just Judah. Dad's never going to love my mom. And dad's never going to love me the way he loves Benjamin. But you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Because I know God loves me. See what he's doing? Pastor Mark talked about this last week. He's opening his hand. He's opening his hand. He's saying, I don't need to hold on to this. I can admit that I'm not the favorite. I can admit that I haven't been loved the way I deserve to be loved. But that's okay. Because God loves me. Because God's got me. Verse 30. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life. Look at the way Judah describes Jacob's life is bound up with Benjamin's life. And the, the word is soul, nefesh. Jacob's soul is bound to Benjamin's soul. Judah, this is amazing. He's doing the exact opposite of chapter 37. In chapter 37, Judah didn't care about dad. He didn't care about Joseph. He was not submitted to dad. He was not submitted to his younger brother, Joseph. He faked the death of Joseph, selling him away, and then went home and callously told his dad and allowed his dad to live in grief and sorrow for 23 years. But here, here, Judah says, I know that my dad's soul is bound up to Benjamin's, and so I got to get him home. I can't watch my dad suffer anymore. Judah has learned to submit not just to God, but to Jacob and to Benjamin. He's going to do what's best for his father and his brother. Interestingly, this, this phrase, his soul is bound up, Jacob's soul is bound up with Benjamin's soul, that same exact phrase is used later on in your Bible in the book of uh, 1 Samuel to describe David and Jonathan. A son of Judah, David, and a son of Benjamin, Jonathan. Hundreds of years later, their souls will be bound together. And again, against all odds, because Jonathan should have seen David as the enemy. Jonathan should have seen David as the one that's in the way, as the one that's uh, right before that Saul had adopted David as his son. He's inviting David in to play the harp. He's, he's doing more for David than he is for Jonathan. And yet, and yet Jonathan is able to open up his hand and say, you know what? I know that this is the will of God. I know that this is the plan of God. I'm not going to be king. David is. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to love David. I'm going to knit my soul to David's soul and submit to God 
and submit to David at the same time. You see, this, this is possible. This is possible. How do we know that it's happened? That last, that last thing here in our cycle, sacrifice. How do we know when we've submitted to the will of God, the goodness of God, and, and submitted to one another? It's when we're then able to sacrifice for each other. Look at the end of the chapter, verses 33 and 34. Judah says, Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a slave to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. This is the first time in Scripture that one person offers their life for another person. And it's Judah. It's Judah. He's looking at Joseph and saying, take me instead. Take my life. Lock me up. Make me a slave instead of Benjamin. You see, verse 17, Joseph made his decision based on justice. Nope, I'm not locking. They, the brothers all said, lock us all up. And Joseph said, no, I'm, who am I to do that? I would not, that's not fair. I'm going to lock up the one guy who stole my cup. Justice, fairness, righteousness. Here, Judah understands that. He understands, he does, this is not a plea for mercy. Do you see it? Mercy, what, the, the mercy speech would have been Judah saying, please, master, please, just, just forgive us. Just let us go. We'll go home. We'll never come back again. You'll never see us again. Please just have mercy. May God have mercy on my soul. But Judah doesn't make that plea. He actually makes a plea towards justice. But he does it through substitution. He knows Joseph has to take Benjamin. Because as far as everything in, in, the, in the court is saying, Benjamin's guilty. But Judah says, take me instead. He doesn't throw justice away. He doesn't throw it away. You know, practically speaking, this is called making amends. If, you, if you've wronged somebody, you need to make it right. You need to make amends. Justice needs to be done. Sometimes in forgiveness, the person might say, no, you don't have to pay me back. No, you don't, you don't need to make it right. And that's, that's restorative justice, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But oftentimes, we need to make it right. We need to make amends. We need to change our behavior. We need to go back and correct mistakes. And Judah's doing that on a very, very deep, practical level. He knows he's guilty, verse 16. He knows he can't clear his name. But if I bring Benjamin home... I'll be making amends for the hatred I've had towards my dad. I'll be doing right by my dad. And in a strange way, he'll be doing right by Joseph. He'll be honoring dead Joseph by bringing Joseph's brother, Benjamin, home. How do we know our heart has changed? We know our heart has changed when we are willing to love and sacrifice. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. How do we know that Judah has passed from death into life? 
because he loves his brother. His enemy, he's brought back to be his brother. Benjamin, his enemy, his love for enemy has worked in transforming grace and power so that his enemy is now his brother. Benjamin and Judah, Judah sacrificing his own life for his brother. All right, you say, Brady, how do, my goodness, how do we do that? How's, what's, what's my mindset here? What's the power for this? And it's, it's, it's this is what we preach every week. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's this truth that the love of Christ, our brother, and God, our father, can break any sin cycle in your life. Look, this is a tale. This Genesis story is a tale of twisted brotherhood and bad dads and um, maladjusted family practices. But listen to me. You have the best brother in Jesus Christ. You have the brother, as James read earlier, you have the brother who humbled himself, who set aside the glory and took upon slavery. You have the brother that stood up and said, take me instead. Take me, lock me up instead. And he came and he humbled himself and he became obedient even to the point of the cross, Philippians 2 says. That's our brother. He is the true son of Judah. The son of Judah that wouldn't just give his life for Benjamin, but that would give his life for the whole world. The offspring of Judah that would give himself for Judah. (laughs) and for me, and for you. Christ, our brother. He's the better older brother. In the prodigal son story, the older brother stayed home. The other brother didn't give up the glory. He didn't give up the wealth. He didn't give up the cars. He didn't give up the video games. He didn't set any of that aside. He stayed home, and then when his younger brother finally got home, he was bitter. Christ is the better older brother that when we walk away, he puts on his backpack and grabs his stick and says, I'm out of here. I'm going to go find my brother. And I'm not coming back till I bring him home. That's your brother today. The one that would give his life. And listen, you have a father. A father that is way better than Father Jacob. You have a father that never plays favorites. You have a father, literally the Bible says, in God there is no favoritism. It literally says those words. You have a father that would never leave Simeon in a jail. You have a, you have a father who knows your name. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every time you get up from your chair and sit down in your chair. He know, wherever you run, wherever you hide, if you go to heaven or if you go to hell, if you go to the ocean or if you go to space, God knows where you are and he's with you and he's chasing you and he's pursuing your heart. You say, well, isn't Jesus God's favorite? No. Don't you see? When you receive Jesus, when you receive the life of Christ, you are placed into Christ. And guess what you get? It's Ephesians 1. We sang it. Jamie read it, then we sang it. We get every spiritual blessing to the praise of his glorious grace. We are the brothers of Christ, no favorites. God sees you the way he sees Jesus. He's giving you everything he's given Jesus. 
Where is Jesus? Seated on the throne. Where are you? Seated on the throne. What will Jesus inherit? The universe. What will you inherit? The universe. Don't you see? There are no favorites with God. He loves you. He loves you. Will you submit to that dad today? That dad. Because when we do, when we submit our hearts to that brother and that dad, it will break every sin cycle in your life. Now listen to me. Listen to me. We're almost done. Listen to me. Sometimes that love of God, it will break a sin cycle in your life overnight immediately. And if that's happened to you, if you, if, you were, if you were trapped in a temptation and sin cycle, and then you trusted the love of God, the love of Christ, and suddenly it went away, to, I say to that, praise God. Praise God. That's awesome. And sometimes God does that. But sometimes he doesn't do that. Sometimes the only thing I can say to you is the love of God will break the sin cycle in your life in the next life. But it's still a promise worth claiming, isn't it? He's going to take it away. He's going to take it away. I promise you. It's coming. It's coming. Well, what about me, Brady? I'm, I'm down here, and I, I want God to love me. I think, God, I, I think God loves me. I want to get out of my sin cycles. Listen, sometimes God will leave us in a sin temptation cycle because he's trying to keep us from falling into an even greater sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, full of myself, narcissistic, holier than thou, a know-it-all, jerk, bully, in order to keep me from that, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. And that thing keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And sometimes I drop it, the ball, and sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I get it wrong. But God is saving me from an even greater sin cycle by allowing me to rotate in this sin cycle. And that's the grace of God. That's the mercy of God. And so here's the cycle you need today, and I need today. It's straight from the mouth of Jesus. When Jesus started his ministry... He walked out into the public and said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Here's our cycle today. Not one of, every time I see her, oh, I get angry, I just can't stop. Every time, every time that guy does that, oh, it drives me crazy. I just can't be around them. No, our cycle is repent, believe, repeat. Repent believe, repeat. Repent from that selfishness. Repent from that identity being so wrapped up. Open your hand is what I'm saying. Open your hand. Open your hand. Believe. Trust the love of God your Father. Trust the love of Christ your brother. And then when the temptation comes back, when the cycle starts to repeat, when the mistreatment comes, Repent, believe, repeat. Maybe you're listening to me this morning and you, you haven't even jumped into that cycle. You haven't even jumped into Christ. He's calling out to you today. Repent, turn, 
Turn from your self-righteousness. Turn from your sin. Turn from all the ways that you're rejecting God. And believe. Turn and believe. Trust. Place your hope. Place your trust. Place your identity in God the Father, Christ the Brother, who loves you and gave himself for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Will you do that today? If you're a Christian, will you continue to live your life repenting, believing, trusting the goodness of God and allowing it to break those cycles in your life? I pray you will. Will you pray with me? Father, we know that you are the good and gracious Dad, our Abba, who has given us the spirit of your son, Jesus Christ. God, may the power of that truth, of your unconditional, no favorites love, may that allow us to open our hands today, receiving your love, receiving Christ, receiving his grace and goodness. And may that empower us to submit to you, God, to submit to what our reality is, to accept it, to trust you in the middle of it. And now we can submit to others. We can seek their gain over our own. We can have the mind of Christ. We can let go of the glory and we can grab and we can humbly grab hold of sacrifice. God, do this work in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.